0: On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple common sense and financial wisdom. And now here are your hosts from LPF Advisors.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I am your host here always, Chris Flaming, And today I have the honor of hosting Ryan Reefer on the podcast. His self-named law office, based in San Antonio, specializes in helping businesses, investors, and entrepreneurs through the full range of legal and business issues that can arise. His motto is, personal attention has no substitute. Ryan, thanks for being here, and welcome to the show.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on, Chris. Really appreciate it, and uh, hopefully I can teach a thing or two and provide some entertainment. And you know. Yeah,
1: Let's do it, man. Let's do all of that. Okay, so I'm sure you have an interesting history. Um, Take me kind of briefly through the high points of how you got to where you are today with your practice.
2: Yeah, so as you noted, I'm headquartered in San Antonio. So I grew up in San Antonio, born and raised, uh, and then left when I was you know, 18 years old, went off to college, UT Austin, went off to law school, NYU. Uh, started practicing in New York for a few years at major law firm, you know, one of these two thousand man firms that has offices all over the country. Then uh, moved back to Texas because you know New York City, although it is a wonderful and fun and all kinds of great place, uh, has you know high taxes and snow and people touching you on the subway. It just kind of got to me after five years. So anyway, moved to Houston, uh, did a few more years at another one of these mega firms, and you know. Tons and tons of hours, tons and tons of work, great experience, great money, um, not so great quality of life. Then moved back to San Antonio and was working for a kind of small to mid-sized firm here. And I wasn't even there for maybe seven or eight months before one of their clients uh, hired me away for a uh, startup project that they were, that was a tech startup, basically a video sharing company. Um, Very well capitalized. We ended up running somewhere $20, $25 million raise over over several years. Um, So I was the in-house counsel for that company for about three years. And they kind of hit a wall with COVID, unfortunately, as so many businesses did. Funding dried up. A whole lot of people were looking at their wallets for COVID. um, And as a result of that, I said, okay, well, I've got all this fantastic experience and I kind of see an opening in the market in San Antonio where I can sort of add some value for people who uh, you know, are sort of in between the hometown lawyer space who kind of does everything and the hire a big law firm space. We're going to charge you $800 an hour for some kid who's just out of law school. Right. There's a big, big gulf between those two for somebody who, has a couple of specializations, a couple of things that they do. You know, I don't do everything. I don't want to do everything. I have a few things that I focus on, a relatively small number, a relatively, you know, maybe 10, 20% of the pie of your overall legal needs. I saw a space for something like that in the market. And, uh, you know, first year as as the first year of any business was tough because I decided to uh, launch, right, as I said, right when COVID was kind of in full swing, it was a tough couple of months, but, uh, you know, the last year or so have been, have been good. Things have started, you know, started to really pick up and then we're, uh, we're off to the races.
1: Yeah, I like how you said that. And I've, I've heard often, you know, everybody wants all this knowledge and I think they should know a bunch of stuff so they can answer any questions. But especially in business, I think it's important just to know a few things really well and be really good at those and then find that group of people that, that, that can benefit from what you know. Um, and then you can make a really big impact. So what do you think was the most important thing that was different about owning your own business versus working for somebody else? Was that the biggest draw, why you started your own, or, or what did you see as being the biggest advantage?
2: Several things. Number one, freedom over my own time to an extent that I mean, obviously, you still answer to clients, right? And obviously, if a client needs something, a client calls you with an emergency that says, hey, you know, I need you to pull an all-nighter and get this done by first thing in the morning, right? You know, if the client needs that, you know, if you want to keep that client, you want you want them to be happy. I mean, you've got to do that. But I found, and, you know, not to malign anyone in particular, there were a lot of cases of kind of artificial deadlines where, you know, okay, some partner says, Hey, I need this report by Monday. You know, I need this memo by Monday, whatever. And then it sits on their desk for like three or four days, you know, like this was not an emergency. So having that control over my time that I can, you know, I can work until seven, eight o'clock, and then I can go to the gym and do my workout for, you know, hour and a half, two hours. And then I can get back home and say, okay, now I'm going to sit on my laptop on the couch and knock out kind of some of these low priority things. And, just having more control over my own time was a huge one. And as well, you know, what I'll say is kind of a sense of ownership, right? That as I'm sure this will resonate to every single business owner out there because I have a ton of them as clients, that you wear all the hats, right? Like I am, you know, not only am I doing the legal work, I'm the marketing guy, I'm the HR guy, I'm the internet support guy, I'm the, you know, I I do all of it. I have people helping me with this. But at the end of the day, if something doesn't work, not only from a legal perspective, I'm doing the legal work too, but, you know, if my website breaks or, you know, my, whatever, my Google ads is wonky or whatever it may be, I've got to fix that. There's nobody else that's going to do it for me. You know, there's nobody else that's going to take care of the client and make them happy. There's nobody else that's going to make sure the office is running. Like the buck stops with me with all of that stuff, which is a ton of responsibility, but also kind of, you know gives you the freedom to do things the way that you see fit and again not to malign anybody in particular but i think a lot of lawyers are 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 relatively hidebound and relatively old fashioned in the way that they want to do things and i think the zoom kind of revolution that was forced by covid in particular has changed the game in a lot of places in that you know hey that meeting really could have been a zoom call or that meeting really could have been an email. And I think clients like someone who is at least open to that possibility and doesn't kind of stick with, no, the way that we've done things for the past 50 years is the way that things must be done always.
1: We've seen that too, uh, where a lot of my relationships that I've taken on uh, new clients, have I've never met the person in person. Right? You know, I've never had a, a meeting with them uh, one-on-one in a room. It's been virtual and it's been fine. And that really got sped up with the pandemic. Um, and I, I, I wanted to ask you a question to follow up on something you said. So um, when you went back and started your business, that was two, three years ago, right? When you went out on your own. Right at two right? years. Yes. So if you could go back, it wasn't that far long ago, but knowing mm-hmm. what you know now, if you could go back two years, what do you think you would tell that person? Is there <laughs> something you wish you knew back then that you know now? What would, um, um, I would say you know, even
2: less than you think, you know, like you realize that you're going on this journey and that you don't know anything, but you really, really don't know anything. And just, you know, just be ready to be wrong and be ready to follow the data and, you know, do your experiments and, you know, take your, take your steps. But, you know, if something isn't working, be ready to cut bait and move to the next thing.
1: And you seem, you seem really uh, engaged and motivated about the direction that your business is going. Is there something you like, particularly right now, best about what's going on with your, with your business?
2: I think one of them is the, the freedom to work with, uh, the freedom to tell clients no, <laughs> like the, the freedom to kind of, you know, obviously you can't tell everyone no because money is a thing and you have to actually feed your family and pay your bills and keep the lights on and all that. But there are certain, you know, again, maybe this goes back to your previous question of, you know, lessons learned over the past two years. There are certain things that for me are are red flags of like, hey, you don't want that client. And I took on a few of them at the beginning um, just because I didn't know any better. Right. You know, because being in a large law firm or even a small law firm that. The client intake process is not something that they show baby lawyers or even even not so baby lawyers, right? It's not something that, you know, these kind of senior partners, I I don't want to say hide the ball, but like, you know, you're there to do the work and do the billable hours and make everybody else money. You're not there to learn about how to build your own practice, right? That's not what they're interested in teaching you. Yeah. Um, and not that's to say not, they necessarily hide the knowledge, but you know, they're just not interested in showing you how to do that. Cause that's not what you're there for.
1: It's not what it, you're on. a need to know. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah right, basically and right basically, now you don't need to know.
2: Right. You don't get, you know, <laughs> I mean, you get to see how some of the sausage is made, but not that particular sausage. You don't really see the client intake process. Yeah. So you don't really, you know, you don't really get to know, like, what are the red flags of like, Hey, you don't want that client. That dude's <laughs> going to be, that's bad news waiting to happen.
1: You mentioned you have a few specialties, some things that you know really well that you focus mm-hmm. on. So are there some areas of your practice that you find the most challenging and also the most satisfying? I mean, not particularly, right? Because in either, so
2: I kind of have two main sides of the house, right? Like we have we have business law and transactional things, which can be, which can be anything from, hey, Ryan, I'm starting up a new company to form an llc well okay that's you know easy enough i can help you with that right or it could be hey i'm selling my practice you know i'm a doctor i run a you know i run a widget company i'm you know whatever i'm selling my practice i'm retiring and this other guy's gonna buy my practice for 10 million dollars and i need somebody to paper that transaction get all the assets purchased get the bill of sale and get the reps warranties and negotiate this fairly extensive set of documents right you should, and there's 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 a huge amount of stuff in between all that could be just looking at a contract and reviewing a contract which would be anywhere from a couple thousand dollars to you know a million plus right and there's there's a there's an immense amount of variation in there and then on the other side of the house you have estate planning which can be anything from hey I had a simple will simple power of attorney right which is you know important to get right but it's not rocket surgery. Right. It's not something that has never been done before. And and kind of asking the questions is important. But you know, I mean, you're not creating something from whole cloth. It's not the first will that has ever been made in the history of the legal system. All the way up to something, you know, fancy like a you know, irrevocable trust or family limited partnership or some kind of exotic asset protection strategy that you know, there's a so I would say on, on, on either kind of side of the house, if you will, there's, there's significant variation. You can, you can have, I don't want to say easy stuff, because if you don't know what you're doing, none of it's particularly easy. But you can have straightforward, simple to incredibly complex and, you know, it will require hours and hours and hours of custom work.
1: Well, and I'm sure that's what keeps you engaged.
2: And you never know which one it's going to be, is the other thing. Right. Yeah. There's yeah. everybody it's behind this door. Right. And a lot of people say, oh, I just have a simple question. And they, they right. start describing me. It's like, this is not simple. This is,
1: this is right. the opposite of simple. And that's exactly why I don't tell people at cocktail parties what I do. <laughs> <laughs> because they, then they say what? Oh, I have a question. Right? It's really simple. And then 15 minutes later, you're trying to figure out how to... Find your way to the bathroom and make an excuse. Right?
2: <laughs> I've got okay. a I've got a lawyer joke here if you want to hear it.
1: All right. Maybe we'll do that at the end. Okay, all, right, all, right. all right. Okay. Now, this concept of personal intention, you made it a point to put that on your website as being something that's really mm-hmm. important to you. And I think a lot of that has kind of gone to the wayside, not because of COVID, but just even before that, where people get stuffed off onto somebody else or a, a, a assistant or something like that. They never get to talk to the to the person that they originally worked with. So I'm curious why that is so important to you that you've structured your practice around that premise, why you feel like it's important.
2: I mean, for exactly the reason that you say that that's something that has fallen by the wayside in a lot of places, right? The interaction that you have with the attorney, the accountant, the architect, but whoever's You know that person although they may be very 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 good sort of turns into a salesman right of like you see them the first meeting and they're like oh this guy's great i want to work with him and then from then on out you're working with some junior person that you've never heard of and you don't know who they are or what they're doing or they're just sort of fungible i don't if i were on the other end of that deal if I'm hiring you, I want you, right? Like that's the, if I go to get my, I don't know, say I'm going to renovate my house, right? I I hire the best architect in the city. You know, well, if I interview that person, I interview 10 people and I say, look, you're the guy, This this is the one that I want. And then he passes me off to some just out of architecture school, or in my case, just out of law school person to do all the real work. Like, well, hey, I could have driven down to the architecture school and hired a first year, you know, like that, that, I could have done that myself. So I feel like that gets lost a lot of times. And it's also, frankly, it's a, it's a complaint that I have heard, um, from potential clients coming from other places that like, Hey, the main guy, the name partner, the, whoever is not the one doing my work. They're just billing me $500 an hour for some second year associate, which is I mean, I don't know that for me, that's the value proposition is clear. The value proposition is clear. And, and I don't want to, again, I don't want to accuse anybody in particular, but passing somebody off to a junior associate and saying, you know, look, we're going to build this person at a billing rate. That's higher than, you know, most solos to pay for our big expansive lobby and pay for our big fancy building and all that. I mean, if I were their client, I would go elsewhere.
1: Yeah, and that's a I think a lot of more a lot of people that's being lost. And a lot of people would like that to come back or, or seek out those relationships mm-hmm. because they want, especially with important things like business creation, succession planning, estate planning, financial stuff. I mean, these are really, really important topics to people and they, mm-hmm. they typically want a, a main point person that they're having most of the conversations with. Now. If you need to change your address or something like that, you know, of course, somebody administratively can help you with that. But when it comes to the decision making and that, then you want to have the person that you picked um, involved in that. Okay. so talk about the relationship between helping a client with one set of issues and how that often spills over into succession or estate planning. Sure. I'm thinking about they come in for this, and then you discover that that then, you know, that then needs to spill over into other things that they're not even thinking about.
2: So it's something that happens. And a lot of times, where that conversation will start is I'll have people come in saying, We want to form a business. You know, there's two partners, three, four, five partners, whatever. Anytime it's more than one person, one of the questions that I'm going to ask in that, Original interview is Hey, have y'all thought about what happens if one of you dies or gets divorced? Right. And, you know, here in Texas, at least it's a community property state, which means that if that interest in the company is acquired after you're married and then it grows and becomes a million billion dollar company, then you get a divorce. Guess what? Even if your spouse is not on those org docs, if your spouse is not. There, his or her name is nowhere on any of those documents. He or she owns half of your interest. And if I were in a business partnership with someone, about the last thing that's on my list of fun times to have is to be in a business partnership with a PO'd
1: ex-spouse, right? That's, that's about- Never had anything to do with the business.
2: Never had anything to do with the business and also now has a bone to pick with you and with that other person, not only is is, it, 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 it's worse than a disinterested third party. It's someone who has an actual real possibility of an incentive to do non-economic things to mess with you. Right. Like it's, it's a, a person who, I mean, you know, some divorces are amicable, some are very not. And that person may get like legitimately vindictive. So that's one of the questions that I ask people is, you know, hey, have you thought about what happens if you die? And, you know, maybe you like your business partner's kids and you know, have affection for them and whatever. You, you have good will towards them. But you don't necessarily want to be in business with them. Anyway, that's one of the first things that I ask. And, you know, we either talk about a business succession plan or a buy-sell or something like that. But a lot of times that topic arises six months or a year later. and They say, well, hey, you know, we're... we're we started a year ago and we're kind of, we're getting rolling. And, you know, we want to talk about setting up a trust. We want to talk about setting up a will. We want to talk about, you know, something like that. I'm like, okay, well, you should have had that done before, but better late than never. So now that we're kind of in the estate planning mode, right? Let's talk about, yeah, you have these accounts. Yeah, you have this money. But if you look at the whole pie, so much of the value of the family wealth is locked up in that business, right? It's not cash. It's the shares of the business that maybe you're tied up with the key person, right? Maybe you can get key man insurance, yada, yada, but maybe not, right? Like maybe maybe the business could operate independently or in five or 10 years becomes a thing that can operate independently. And that's where the family wealth is located. And that business needs to be treated as you know, a pile of cash, you know, the the the, the golden goose and needs to be planned for accordingly.
1: Yeah, because a lot of times that can be the person's biggest personal asset, but by far, very, right? very, very frequently. frequently. Yeah, yeah, very frequently. Okay. Right. And that, that kind of leads me into a question that I wanted to ask you about entity creation. So what are the advantages of of creating an entity? I mean, you and I, it's just kind of, you know, it's, that's what you do. It's common sense, but not to everyone. So what are the advantages of that? And then what are what are the pitfalls if someone waits too long or if they if they don't get around to doing that?
2: Yeah. So I would say the advice that has kind of entered the collective consciousness of like, hey, if you're starting a business, you need to have an LLC. That's good advice. I'm glad that that's made its way into so many business books and so many kind of, so you're starting up, here's your piece of advice, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the reason for that in in very, very shortened terminology is suppose you have a lawsuit, some sort of liability, some sort of debt, some sort of injury, whatever it may be at your business, right? Somebody slips and falls, calls an attorney, sues for a million, billion dollars, et cetera, et cetera, without an entity or, and this is the other thing that I tell people, without without an entity that is properly set up, that liability can spill beyond the business and go to your personal assets And also, it doesn't matter whether those personal assets were business assets, originally were generated by the business, doesn't matter. If you win the lottery tomorrow, you don't have an entity, you win the lottery tomorrow, a business lawsuit can get at those lottery winnings, even though they have nothing to do with the business, right? So a couple of things that get missed in entity formations, forming an LLC in a lot of states is relatively easy. But it's not just the certificate of formation that you need. There are several other documents that you need. And I have regularly people come in. I say, do you have an LLC? Yeah, I do. Here's my certificate of formation. Okay. Where's your operating agreement? Where are your minutes? Uh, What's that? Especially the minutes. That's part of you you need that. And if you don't have those documents, and if you don't have good versions of those documents, maybe your LLC isn't good for anything. And this is the other I know a lot of attorneys kind of hate on the online service providers, you know, LegalZoom, Rocket Lawyer, these kinds of things. Um, I actually think their documents are of a good quality, but the issue is not with those service providers necessarily. It's that that kind of, uh, I call it a multiple choice test. The multiple choice test that they give you when you're doing your entity setup, if you answer some of those questions wrong, you're going to get a document that is inappropriate and may not protect you. Right. And you, 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 you almost need to have a law degree to answer all those questions correctly. So if you do answer the questions correctly, I, the, the service writers are great, right? Their documents are actually, they're good quality documents. It's just, you need to know what you're answering on that
1: multiple. And most time. people, most people don't, right? Because that, that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. You don't, the computer can't tell you, the internet can't tell you, oh, whoops, you're, an, you're asking or answering the questions wrong. Mm-hmm. So then that's going to lead you to a conclusion that is incorrect. So that's right. where the human side of it comes in. If you right. have that background legally, then yeah, you can answer the questions right. For a lot of people, they can't. Right. right. And, and you can't call them and say, what should I answer this question? Because that's right.
2: legal advice. They can't tell you that.
1: Yeah. And it's a, a lot of people don't get that because it's a website that has the documents on there, but they will not provide legal advice on there, even though the name of it might be Legal Zoom. <laughs>
2: yeah. Okay. No, so honestly, nothing against insolu- legal. I think it's a great product and I think it has a good place yeah. in the marketplace. Just if you click the wrong button, get ready to have something that might be counterproductive.
1: Right. Exactly. Right. And that's the risk that people take in using that. And for some people, maybe that's worth it. Okay. So I saw something on your website. I've never heard of this. I don't know what the term is. I'm hoping you can clear this up. What is a, a holographic will? Ooh. All right. Yeah. <laughs> what? So I, I didn't know... I thought, I didn't know if it was a joke or if it exists or if it's in the meta universe or where it is. So tell us what that is. Give us a definition or enlighten us.
2: Yeah. So a a holographic will um, the name aside has nothing to do with holograms. Um, It has to do with the Latin root for that, you know, graph Latin for writing hollow meaning entire. Right. So A holographic will is a will that is written entirely in your own handwriting. They are only legal in certain jurisdictions. There are certain jurisdictions where a holographic will is not a will. There are other jurisdictions where a holographic will can be admitted. Now, what I tell people is you should envision a holographic will as something that is useful for an emergency. Right. If you are on a trip in Africa and you have a deadly disease and you're about to die and you can't get to a lawyer, you know, scribble everything down in your handwriting. Maybe it'll be a holographic will. The uh, kind of, I don't want to say funny, but the quirky law school case that they teach you about holographic wills is there was a farmer uh, up in Canada, I want to say Quebec, but don't quote me on that. He's on his tractor, he's plowing his field. Tractor gets in some mud, flips over, pins him underneath the tractor, and he scribbles on the the metal fender of the tractor. He scribbles, in case I die in this mess, everything goes to my wife, signed, you know, Farmer Bob. The probate court admits the metal tractor fender as a will because it was in his own handwriting and signed. And that obviates the need for witnesses and notaries and et cetera, et cetera. So generally it's a it's an emergency device. If you think you might be sick or something and you don't have a will, again, depending on your jurisdiction. Um, I do not advise people to do a holographic will as a long-term solution, right? To talk to a lawyer because you're yeah. you're very likely to overlook something or write, maybe write something wrong or, you yeah. know, have some sort of unintended consequences, right? It's even worse than using an online service writer. But if you're in a pinch, if you're in an emergency and you absolutely can't get to a lawyer and like, oh my God, I need a will right now. Well, if your jurisdiction allows holographic wills, it can be a good emergency
1: measure. So I, I should stop encouraging my daughter to learn my penmanship and uh, (laughs) imitate the way that I write because that could come back to bite me someday yeah
2: yeah yeah it could could.
1: let's uh let's shift gears um I want to ask you what would you say is your biggest life accomplishment so far
2: starting my own law firm and not failing yet I mean I take a lot of pride in that you know it's it's been hard you know I've, I it's probably the hardest that I've ever worked in my entire life and that's I mean that's saying something because I spent five years in big law and It's a different kind of work there's more variety to it you're not just kind of single stream like you know legal problems bill 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 there's there's 20 different tasks to do every day but um, yeah it's it's not been
1: easy any business if you're trying to make it successful, typically mm-hmm. is, you know, it's not going to be easy, especially in the startup phase, the first three to five years. Mm-hmm. But as you're finding out, it's so worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and then outside of your practice, um, tell me something that you're passionate about personally.
2: Yeah. So I, I have a dog who's wonderful. Uh, she's smarter than I think a lot of people.
1: That's <laughs> not hard these days. <laughs> yeah,
2: That's not yeah, hard. Well, probably true. And I'd say the other thing, I, uh, I, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu which is like kind of ground fighting, grappling. Yep. Uh, you know, if you, if you, any MMA fans out there obviously know what it is also incredibly difficult, right? Not unlike starting your own business, you're going to fail and fail and fail and fail. And you're going to be the worst person on the mat a lot of days. And just sort of, I don't know, there's, there's some life lessons somewhere in jiu-jitsu yeah. about, you know, I, I accepting re- the failure and getting 1% better. And that's really a win. And that 1%
1: compounded over time really leads to something. Exactly. I, I used to do uh, jujitsu. This is back and then I had a shoulder injury and so I had to stop. But I was going to save this question to the end, but since you brought it up, I'll go ahead and ask you, favorite submission that you like, <laughs> to, that you like to perform? What's your submission Ooh. move? What's the one you like?
2: I don't know about the, the one that I like. I'll tell you the one that I've been working on recently is I, I catch a lot of Kimura's okay I've been noticing there, there are Kimuras everywhere to be caught yeah. in a roll and the Camora is on
1: someone's arm correct correct, correct. Yeah, it's right Tagging on yep. the shoulder yeah um, correct
2: I sort of started watching for them and there's a there's there's a lot of them floating around yeah um, yeah and there's also I learned a, I learned a pretty nasty I think it's called a Peruvian necktie with a key uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and that's you kind of it's I, I sort of feel bad doing it because there's yeah. not really a way to gently. Right. It just goes from zero to sixty, but yeah. when you hit it, it's fun. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. Just make it fast. It makes yeah, sure you exactly. It's it like the tap.
2: Yeah, it's like right. sorry, man, but we're doing this. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, let's uh, let's switch back into the business mode. I have a few questions for you on the future. Yeah. What do you see as being the biggest opportunity uh, in the future for your practice?
2: I have no idea. Continue to grow with clients who i have formed and who are growing and and becoming bigger i suppose is one having those having those annual meetings having those contracts and you know i feel like kind of once you pull somebody out of the fire once they're like oh wow this is you know like there's something to this doesn't happen with every single client right a lot of them just sort of take your word and trust you that Hey, you need to have a meeting every year, you need to do contracts, you need to you know, have employment letters, you need to do all these basic things. I will say, I see San Antonio as growing a whole lot over the next five to 10 years, right? Because Austin, which is just a little bit over an hour north is, is absolutely on fire. Uh, and our cost of living is maybe half or less of what Austin is. And kind of like we were talking about the very, very beginning of the podcast, I see a lot of room in this market for you know the kind of in-between space, you know, somewhere between the old school small town do everything lawyer, which totally has a place, and the big thousand person law firm that bills, you know, over a thousand dollars an hour for their partners, which totally has a place, right? Those both have places in the market, but personally I see San Antonio as kind of there's a lot of space in the middle there.
1: That's well, I guess we could call that your pocket. I think San so. San Antonio Park. Yeah. You can yeah. use that. You that's can a good word. Yeah. yeah, I like it. I'll go with it. Or, or stay in your lane, bro. Stay in your lane. <laughs> I think
2: that. i to make my lane bigger. You know? Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. That's okay. Well, that's all they're doing on the interstates are just widening them. We are yeah. in Florida. We have an everlasting state of road construction, as I'm sure it Mm -hmm. is in Texas, but that's what we're going on down here. So on the flip side of that question, I just asked you, what do you think is your biggest challenge facing the business heading into the future? Um, An obstacle you have to overcome, a challenge, something you'd like to get better at or or fix?
2: Managing expenses is always a challenge, right? And there's a lot of expenses that like, I know they're ROI positive, right? I I know that writing that check is going to make me more money, but... Just there's there are so many recurring expenses with starting a business that you know when I sat down and made my plan like okay this you know these are my expenses these are my revenues you know, here's how it's going to match up this is my this is my curve you know year year one two three four it's just significantly higher than than I projected and I know they're good expenses too right because I'm not I'm not stupid about what I spend money on um, and I'm I'm very intentional and I'd say okay is this. At the end of the day, is this going to make me money or lose me money? And you know, try to be as strict as possible as, as I can about that. There's a lot of outflows on a monthly basis, and also, you know, cash flow can get bumpy, right? You know that sometimes if you have three, four, five people who drag their heels from month on paying you, you're like, well, <laughs> yeah, I, like I know the money's coming, but like guys, you know, yeah, that that's a challenge fast growth is also a challenge. I mean, my, from year one to year two, my revenues have doubled and kind of staying on top of how are we going to handle this? How are we going to scale? I mean, that's, you know, not an easy thing to do. I think I'm doing a generally pretty good job of it, but you know, there's of course, as we know from jujitsu, there's always room for improvement, right? You can always be better.
1: Yeah, And the, the, these are the constant problems that that never go away. I mean, they can be, dealt with. You can have plans in place, Um, but certainly part of owning a business and managing the growth that you have in the future. So if people want to learn more about you or contact you, um, what's the best way for them to do that?
2: Well, it depends on what your medium of choice is. You can go to my website, uh, www.ryanreifer.com. That's R-Y-A-N-R-E-I-F-F-E-R-T. Also, most of Except with with the maybe one exception, our social media is Law Reifert, just L-A-W-R-E-I-F-F-E-R-T. And we also have a YouTube channel that is uh, Law Offices of Ryan
1: Reifert. Okay. And what's on the YouTube channel? Is it quick? Is it educational <laughs> stuff? Or? So there, there, there's a mix on there. Okay, um,
2: there's great. some legal explainers of okay. like, hey, here's how to... You know, if you're wondering how to do a small estate affidavit yeah. in Texas, here's how to do it. Or you know, here's the common business mistakes. Or and there, there's one where I've got a friend who's a police officer and I say, hey, what are your top five tips for getting out of a ticket? Right? And we kind of review that. There's some of, some of that. And then I also, I recently started talking about like kind of some of the celebrity legal cases and what I think is going to happen. And my approach there has been Not necessarily to take a comprehensive kind of overview of like what is the overall outcome going to be from this, but hey, maybe there's a maybe there's a corner that I can pull off and chew on and explain. Like, you know, for example, in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, right? Like, we talked about reasonable belief. And what does reasonable belief mean? Well, okay, there's a subjective, there's an objective component to that and blah, blah, blah. Not going to talk about the whole case, not going to talk about, you know, right or wrong or otherwise, but let's talk about this one legal thing that maybe people don't necessarily understand that we can kind of bring some insight to one aspect of that. So okay. that's right. the
1: other half of the content. Fantastic. That's great. And we encourage everyone to check that out. Ryan, Ryan, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. It's been a true pleasure to interview you. We learned a lot. That was some good stuff. And I want to thank everybody for listening and watching the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we are raising the retirement confidence of everyday people one show at a time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and watching. We'll see you next time. Take care. Be well.
0: You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.